being proactive in terms of your health and your state of health, it impacts the bottom line exponentially. If your people are happier, if your team is happier, if your people feel more alive and awake with what they do, they're going to produce more. Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimize Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to the Optimized Workplace, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. I'm Courtney Fickus, Marketing and Business Development Manager with Aerobodies, and today we're flipping the script and I'm interviewing host and Chief Executive Officer Fran Dean Bishop. After two decades of working with a range of sports and semi-pro athletes, Fran has parlayed her coaching acumen and training discipline into a multi-million dollar workplace wellness brand, helping global organizations and federal agencies design wellness engagement experiences that transform workplace culture and improve the productivity and resiliency of thousands of employees. Fran is well-known throughout the executive business community as a leader, publisher, speaker, and technology innovator. Personally speaking, she's an inspirational mentor for the Airbodies team and a visionary when it comes to holistic well-being. Thank you for taking the time to chat with our listeners today, Fran. Well, it's a pleasure, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. This feels so strange, though, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So as some of you may already know, Aerobodies focuses on health, wellness, and process improvement solutions, supporting over 500,000 thriving people and cultures to date. Fran, what would you say are some of the most notable impacts Aerobodies has made in the past 24 years? Oh, what a great question to lead with. Well, with that question, I think of what I'm most proud of, right? So when you unpack you know, the fact that we've been able to touch, you know, well over half a million lives. And I know firsthand we've won, you know, lots of awards for lives saved. Uh, I, you know, I think of instances when we um, ran one federal um, site and we had a person collapse of a heart attack and our team was ready, able, willing, and literally saved the guy's life until the paramedics arrived. Uh, during COVID, we had people on the front lines um, helping people with suicide prevention uh, just because of, you know, everything that COVID entailed with that pandemic and people who were first line responders, we were supporting the first line responders and thinking about what our folks did in the trenches along with that. And then I just think about, you know, when we started the company and some of the, you know, incubator programs that we started when it was around the workplace wellness and people didn't have a clue as to what to do. And we were, you know, in law firms moving huge conference tables so people could work out or in the back of the Smithsonian, we had this one contract back in the day where 
you know, the, these were like leaders of the Smithsonian. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and you come down on the National Mall and you see the incredible museums um, and the landscape of the National Mall and the Smithsonian Institution and all the incredible work that this body of this organization body has done. And then you think about how they were trying to maintain people's well-being. So they put their makeshift fitness center in the back closet of uh, this makeshift room <laughs> behind this coat closet. And they ran up the stairs which, into this attic. And this is where people got to work out. And we developed this program for them. And we worked with them for almost, oh my goodness, I think almost 10 years. You know, it's just like, when I think about the iteration of where wellness started in 1997, when we started the company and where it is today, I think that's some of my proudest moments simply because we really had to design it and create it and brand it and implement it and figure it out. And yeah, now there's countless competitors, but you know, when we started and and even to this day for some of the projects we take on, there's no roadmap. We have to create it. So I think I'm most proud of that, that we really are visionaries in our space. Yeah. And I, I think that really speaks to working with what you have and really the no excuse mentality for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I applaud the fact that we've had clients that have been willing to let us design and innovate and iterate and not necessarily have it figured out. You know, one of my pet peeves for those listening um, is, you know, clients that, you know, sign the contract and ask us to come in and design it and, and build it and amplify their workspace and then try to tell us how to do it. Like stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, if you're the VP of admin or operations or CHRO or whatever, then stay that. You are not an exercise physiologist. You're not, not an occupational therapist. You're not a physical therapist. You're not a uh, workplace designer. You're not a well-certified design space innovator. That's not what you do. So that's what we do. So let us do our work and enjoy the journey. Uh, and I think that's the work that's most enjoyable. It's very difficult when you have somebody who tries to design it for you and for their employees, because the employees really are the ones that suffer in that instance. Right. The collaboration and the feedback is extremely important. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the eight dimensions of health. So as some of you may know, they are physical, emotional, social, intellectual, occupational, environmental, financial, and spiritual. So when we're thinking about these eight different dimensions of health and how they intersect, what do you find most prevalent in your day-to-day -day life? Mm, that's a great question. I think the physicality, it, it goes without saying, right? Physical, environmental, and mental. Because I don't care how much you may think you're a well person, if physically you are not implementing and working towards and striving to move your body, mm -hmm. you know, manage your body, you know, feed your body well. I just interviewed somebody on the podcast that talked about, you know, clean eating and the importance of that. And then, you know, I interviewed last week, Lacey Hagan of, um, of her firm and, and talk, she talked a lot about clean beauty and what you put on your body. You know, if you're not physically 
working towards that, it doesn't matter, right? Mentally, if you're not doing things to really focus on having a clear mind and being mindful of the actions and the the decisions that you're making and really keeping your mental uh, well-being and acuity safe and balanced and managing your stress and and looking at all the things that do stress you out and how you're managing that self-care on a global level when it comes to your interactions on an enterprise level, when it comes to your company and an individual level, when it comes to your home, then nothing really matters. And then environmental was really interesting. So, you know, over the last three years, you know, Courtney, I've um, embarked on this um, well AP design uh, certification and, and allowed AeroBodies now to enter into the well design space. And you know, some of the things I found out, and I've been in, in wellness for almost 30 years, right? But some of the things I found out about the fact that 90% of our lives are spent in a built environment. So if your air quality is bad, which many people who live in apartment buildings in New York figured out during COVID, then your life is jacked. Like you need to really get that under control, right? If you're right. not drinking clean water or you don't have access to to really good water sources and you're not purifying that water on a regular basis, that could be detrimental to your internal organs, not to mention your skeletal system, your digestive system, your, you know, your respiratory system, so many different things. So, you know, it's it's those three pieces, I think are hugely important, environment, mental, and physicality. And I think those are, great places to begin to start with when you unpack the eight dimensions. And then from there, look at where else can I make impact? But it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's many, as I always say, and I close the show, many monumental moments. So those small little steps that you take every day that make the biggest impact as you grow older and hopefully more beautiful and, and more prosperous in your life. Absolutely. I think that's beautiful. I'd like to turn a little bit and share a Harvard Business Review stat with you. So upon my research, I was looking at companies who integrate wellness programs versus companies who don't place that much emphasis on it or you know, see it as sort of a luxury rather than a necessity. And companies with strategically designed wellness programs actually are showing a return on investment as high as six to one. So, I mean, that's huge. The stats don't lie. Numbers don't lie, right? <laughs> so <laughs> why is workforce well-being so important from you as an expert? And how can business leaders successfully adopt well-being into their organizational culture to really make a difference? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, so I think on the first, it's so important because it's, you know, being proactive in terms of your health and your state of health, you know, it impacts the bottom line exponentially. You know, if your people are happier, if your team is happier, if your people feel more alive and awake with what they do, they're going to produce more. It's just, you know, that's not rocket science. They're just going to do more. They're going to feel more they're going to come up with richer ideas. They're going to be um, more um, inclined to, you know, I look at you, you're a fantastic example of that. Like, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, Courtney, it's time to quit for the day. You know, like we're done for the day. You've got to take a break, step away. Cause you're so excited about what you do because as I like to think as a, as a lead of our organization, you know, I I'm really clear with 
the 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 boundaries that we set around making sure that people take care of themselves and have resources to take care of themselves and have EAP and mental health resources. And, you know, we take our retreats, you know, we do things um, to remind you and each individual in AeroBodies, hey, what are you doing? You know, what are the reminders to take care of yourself, whether it's a newsletter or, you know, it's a it's a gift card or um, it's a um, it's a podcast episode or it's a it's an, an event that we're inviting you to, an event we're sending you to. I mean, there's just different things that you can do. And and I think that it, well, I know I can speak myself, but I look at our bottom line. It pays. It pays to take care of your employees. So that's the first thing I'd say. And I think, you know, I, we're a small company, right? We're you're less than 50 employees. We're less than 50 million in, in, in revenue. You know, think of a company who's a half a million. If you did things, I mean, not a half a million, but half a billion dollars, you know, even a hundred million dollars in size. If you did more to reward and respect and allow people to really take care of themselves, mm-hmm. it's going to impact your company exponentially. If people are going to be brand ambassadors, they're going to speak well of the company. They're going to be excited about going to work. It, that energy just, it just, and it, it just permeates throughout the country, uh, throughout the company. And the other thing I would say, which is a big pet peeve of mine, when, when companies are thinking about bringing people back, you got to bring people back. You know, people cannot work remotely. They can't do this. They can't do that. The reason why I think the workforce is pushing back so hard on the work from home piece is that people are allowed to bring their full selves when they're working from home. Mm-hmm. When I work from home, I don't have to worry about you not about fixing my face and being in a great chipper attitude when I'm not feeling about feeling ready to be chipper. Mm-hmm. I can still work, but I'm just not in the mood to, you know, have a conversation at the water cooler. And even if I was, I don't want to hear from you. Well, you don't look like yourself today. You don't, you don't seem, you don't seem right. Maybe you need to talk to HR. I don't need to talk to HR. I just don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes people need that space to be able to do that. And that's why people like mm-hmm. to work from home. You know, I mean, granted, they like to be in, in their PJs on the bottom and beautiful <laughs> on the top. But, you know, I think there's a way in which you can make that happen, you know, as a hybrid coming mm-hmm. into work. So I think that, you know, when you look at things like that, Honestly, you know, and you look at, you know, again, what you're trying to do and produce as a company and you're looking at your people, those three really have to meet. They really do. You have to really look at what's important to your employees and to your people and to your team. You have to look at what you're trying to achieve as a company. And you have to see, okay, what's the middle ground? You know, what's the hybrid of that and how do we make that work? I don't run a company that is half a billion dollar in assets and, you know, 500,000 employees. So I don't have the same worries and 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 concerns but i will say we invest and i think companies of all sizes can find a way to invest in their employees right no i i think that's definitely crucial and i i mean it really leads to even the change over the past 3 years we've seen right with the workplace dynamic shifts accommodating workplace flexibility hybrid models returning to office remote work um you know, where, what do the employees want? What do, what do the organizations need? Um, and where does that productivity come in? And actually, fun fact, 41% of the workforce today is either hybrid or fully remote. So there's still much of a shift happening. Um, but within that shift, 22% increase in productivity has been seen throughout organizations that are either hybrid or fully remote. 
And there's a 50% reduction in turnover that they've seen for hybrid and fully remote teams. Wow. 50% reduction in turnover. That's mm-hmm. amazing. When, when they're given the option to work somewhat remote in some capacity. Um, but on the same token, 50% of remote workers report that they feel isolated and that they're craving more team collaboration and more, you know, chance to be mentored by their managers and by their leaders. So, you know, knowing that these hybrid and remote work models are still so prevalent and are continuing, you know, upon the future of work, what advice would you give to leaders to implement success and sustainability within those workforce models? Yeah, I think this is where you have to, you know, roll up your sleeves and and be willing to do some co-creation, you know, with a strategist like like us at Aerobodies or or our our workforce strategist to redesign, again, what the future of work for your company looks like and what you want it to look like. And that always starts with, I love, you know, starting with an assessment, you know, of what's broken, what are people saying? It's always really interesting to me how we're called into companies to, hey, can you help us, you know, design this or develop that or build this or recreate that? This is what we want. And I ask, okay, great. Can I see the assessment? What assessment? Well, what are the employees telling you? Oh, we should ask. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to fix my face. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're right. starting off wrong altogether. Like, you know, it's not, you know, you haven't taken the time to ask. It's like, you know, going out for a date or, you know, somebody asking you out, you know, what? Do you, let's go eat. And they never bothered to ask you, what do you want to eat? Like, come on, give me a break. I mean, you, you have to meet people where they are. You can't make assumptions. And so with that, it's incredibly important that you are willing to be innovative. You're willing to be creative. You're willing to try new ideas. What worked before COVID may not work after COVID and probably isn't. And so you're going to shake things up a little bit. And so that looks different for every company. I mean, you know, we've been for the last 30 years designing soup to nuts. So you know, we can come in and amplify a workplace. I feel like nobody else, like we can design it. You know, we can look at, you know, the ergonomics. We can look at the biophilia. We can look at the design of the of the space itself architecturally. And if you want to move some walls or create some modular or bring in some new furniture or bring in some new, um, some new aesthetics, or if it's just programming and what the programming needs to look like from a cultural standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a, a fitness and wellness standpoint, right? A nutritional standpoint. What do your meetings look like? What kind of meetings do you have? What does your learning and development program look like? You know, how much are you investing in more learning and development? What kinds of things are you teaching people? I mean, as you can see, I can go on and on and on. There's lots of different ways you do that, but I think what's gone is the kind of uh, uh, top-down decision-making of this is what I want, this is what it needs to be, and this is what we're going to do. No, that doesn't work. And it doesn't work for everybody. So if you have an if you have a hybrid workforce and you have employees sitting in Iowa and in New York, and for those who are fortunate in the Bahamas and you know, <laughs> you know, whatever Texas, then what's important and what works for different people in different locales is going to look really different. And uh it's interesting to me, I think being in this field for so long, I think what really needs to happen is before wellness exploded, it really took off. Like after the dot-com era, it really took off. 
around 2002, 2003, where everybody was going to have a coach now and coaching became this new, you know, mainstream kind of thing. And people were really open because they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what needs to happen. You need to start with that, you know, beginner mentality. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Let's try. Let's see. As opposed to, oh, we know that doesn't work. Oh, we know this will work. Because nine times out of 10, you're wrong. And you have to to break it and then design again. Absolutely. And I I think you made a key point there about it being a two-way street and it being a sort of an endless feedback loop right? To, to make sure that you're ever evolving with your programs along with your people. People evolve, the programs have to have to evolve in the same level and the same playing field. Absolutely. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, but there has been some buzz going around about a new all-encompassing well-being leadership program. So I have to ask... Can you care to give our listeners an exclusive on the new Aerobodies cohort series? Oh, I'm so excited. Yes, you know, <laughs> I can. <laughs> so excited. So this has been in the works, actually, folks, for I want to say about two years because I started thinking about it during COVID, but because of everything else going on, I did not have time. And as a creator and a, and a designer and an innovator, you know, you really just have to sit with it. And sometimes in my career, it's really always been about the client asked for it. You have to design it. This didn't exist, but I saw a need. But I really gave myself the chance just to let it marry, you know, marinate, right? I really just want to marinate with it, marinate with it. And I would talk to folks about it. I talked to you, of course, Courtney, about it. I talked to different advisors about it. I was like, what do you about think about this? What do you think about that? I'm a member of a, a couple of CEO groups. And so I just kind of throw it out. Well, you know, what, do you, what about this? What about that? And finally, finally, drum roll. <laughs> I'm happy to say that we'll be launching this fall, the Well Team Culture Program. And it, I'm super excited about it because Well Team Culture, to me, really resonates with what we're trying to offer. And, and really the offering is bringing chief well-being leadership to the C-suite, right? It's no longer a nice to have, it's a must have. And our goal is to work with companies that recognize it's a must have. But the caveat that I'm excited about is that we're not bringing it to the typical AeroBodies client size. We're not focusing on our enterprise, you know, huge Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 companies. We're really going to focus on small businesses. And so our goal is to, Again, bring this chief well-being leadership model to companies of six to 100 employees. Now, we're going to play nice. So if you have more than 100 employees, then we have a custom offering for you. And if you have less than six employees, then there's a way that you can get involved. But for me, that C-suite, because I feel like small businesses often are the ones that are trying to figure out you know, that we're challenged with trying to figure out and get it right. And you only get to hit certain, you know, new benchmarks and you you realize you got to try this and you got to do that. And the whole time it's about maintaining that team and the retention of really strong team players in order for you to grow as a company. And if you don't have the resources, right, if you don't have the access to the different resources that people are looking for if they get an offer from a Deloitte or a Google, you know, or a McKisson or a, a, a Facebook, then they're out the door. Mm-hmm. And 
these days, the name of the game is taking care of people's well-being, mental health, and really seeing them for what they need. That's what that I'm telling you. That I feel like very strongly that's what it's going to be. Going towards 2030, it's all about recognizing what employees really want and meeting them there. It's no more, again, my way or the highway. And so I really feel like the team, well team culture is a way for you to be able to bring that, bring all of our great, you know, nuggets and juicy 30 years of best practice and the stuff that really works, Mm -hmm. we're going to bring to small businesses. So I'm super excited. I am extremely excited about this program. I can just tell how impactful it's going to be. I'm just thinking about it, even, you know, in our small business and yes, we are a wellness company and yes, the things that we do naturally and, and, you know, in previous um, employment that I've had, how we didn't have that. And the difference is so major. Um, and I and I just think that um this is something that organizations need to start thinking about. Yeah. And that we're, you know, we can help support that facilitation and that transformation for them. Absolutely. And I love the last word transformation because you know, so often companies feel like I'm not large enough. So I don't, I can't do this, or I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not big enough, or we don't have enough resources to do that. And what they don't really realize it's it's the many things, it's the small steps, it's the incremental changes that make the biggest impact in people. It's the languaging, right? It's the um, accessibility to information. It's the education. And it's what you're doing on a regular, continuous basis, not once a year. And it's not a nice to have. It's that little thing. And really helping CEOs understand, you know, this is what it looks like to lead a well team and to have a healthy culture. This is what it looks like. And these are the touch points for it. I think it's going to be, I just think it's going to be exponential and massive. I I really, really do. I'm like already like, oh my gosh, I can't, I probably can't hire advisors fast enough because I just feel like it's going to take off. So I'm super excited. Absolutely. Well, I've been speaking within my network and I know a lot of organizations are, you know, continuing to face these challenges with a competitive talent landscape. Mm-hmm. An exhausted workforce, pressures to control costs, right? Um, looming economic downturns. So, what are some of the ways that Aerobodies is supporting the business community to combat these specific challenges? Well, that's a lot to unpack. I think well team culture is one because you know it, it. There's a curriculum piece to it. There's a you know there's the digital um, components and and the the well being actual fitness piece to it. It's the health in terms of clean eating piece to it. It's the design of the workplace piece to it. But all of those pieces are about what employees are facing every day, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go back and unpack that, you know, what is your employee facing? They're trying to make a living. Mm -hmm. They're trying to manage their lifestyle. They're trying to manage home life and what's going on with home life and what's impacting them there. And they can't always bring that or they don't feel like they can bring all that to work and to bear. And you as a CEO and a leader really don't have time to manage all that either. That's not really your job. Your job is to really lead that company, to lead revenue, to lead profits, uh, and to grow your organization. So you really do need the advisement to support you on that journey. And I feel very strongly that that's what Well Team Culture will be able to do. It will give you all those, the missing ingredients, right? And the conduit between 
okay, as a leader, you know, what's missing? How do I make sure that I'm touching base with my employees? How am I making sure I'm bringing innovation out of my my employees? What am I looking at the next, the next um, move that we should make? What's transformation look like? Oh my gosh, what are the KPIs we should have on part of that? I think for me, when I think about it and why I'm so excited about it is because I've run a small business for almost 30 years. So I know you got to be driving, you know, the train. You can't be looking back half the time, but you still got to know what's going on behind you. And so I feel like that's all the components that we're bringing to this so that you have all that baked in to grow and drive your business mm-hmm. while you're at the same time growing and driving your team. Absolutely. Is that a good answer? <laughs> yes, incredible. And it actually makes me want to talk a little bit more about the professional development side. Yeah. So uh, in recent years, over $160 billion have has been spent on employee training and development, yet it's reported that 77% of organizations are still currently experiencing that leadership gap. Mm-hmm. With all that money, there's still, you know, that that gap there. And even more shocking, only 10% of CEOs believe their company's leadership development initiatives actually have a clear business impact. Mm. That's sad. So let that sink in a moment. <laughs> That's really sad. <laughs> because something is off there. Mm. So uh, just thinking about that, wh- what should organizations prioritize when developing their workforce and really how does leading with a well-being mindset impact organizational success? Yeah. So a couple of things I would say to that, you know, you really have to think about, I always like to start a project or or a new um, program with the end in mind. You know, what's the end game? What am I trying to reach? And when you look out 10 years or even five years in your organization, who's going to be there? And what's the skill set they're going to need? You know, when I take someone like you, Courtney, you you know, you're managing sales and marketing for Aero Buddies, but you're not going to be there in five years. I'm sure you're looking to be bumped up, right? You're looking to move beyond that. And so what's the skill set you're going to need when you get there? And who needs to be behind you in the, in the down um, line to make sure that we're still moving forward, amplifying, growing, et cetera. And then what's going to be important to you in five years? Who knows? Maybe married with a kid on the way, not protecting that for you, but <laughs> I'm sure your parents would be happy. <laughs> but you know, it's me. So that means that life is going to change. And what you need at that time is not what you need right now, right? It's the same thing with a business. What everybody's is going to need five years from now, it may not need right now, but you better be, I better be thinking about it you know, as a CEO. And so I think that's where you have to do. And I think what happens based on your statistic you just shared is that, you know, I just got, I just got off the phone with a client that had asked us to uh, partner with them on a workforce development project that they're bringing forward. And they're like, well, we have a community college that has said possibly they'd like to 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 be a part of it. And we have another organization like to be a part of it. It's a nonprofit. And I said, that, that'll be great because they'll check the boxes on the nonprofit piece. But the problem with sometimes with some of those organizations is they have the same curriculum, they have the same rubric, and they haven't changed it in five years. Why? Because they're so big 
It takes forever to turn that over. The great thing about a small business is that we're nimble, we're quick, we're innovative, which is why small businesses are usually the ones that are most innovative, bring new ideas forward. So we're constantly looking at to tweak and change. And I think the beautiful thing about how we're approaching this is that as a small business, we're constantly changing and we're constantly iterating because we have to, we have to be nimble. So we know what that takes. I think, again, what's behind that statistic is a lot of organizations receive their trainings and their workforce development models and programs from very large, established organizations. Mm-hmm. And those haven't been tweaked in five years. You know, so they're teaching the same old things in the same old way. They're not innovating anything. And because of that, it's stuck, it's boring, and it's not really thinking about where people are today. So those trainings that you were using before COVID, I'm hoping you're scrapping those, or if, if anything, you have completely dissected them and rebuilt them. Because if you're not, they're they're really worthless. You really need to look at where the work culture has transformed to in 2024. 2023 is almost over. Wake up. <laughs> in 2024 and get there and get there quick. Absolutely. It's crucial to keep looking forward and keep moving forward in life and business. And, you know, personally working with you and having the chance to, to work with you and learn from you, that is something that is very inspirational from an employee standpoint. And that's something that I seek for in a leader and and in somebody that you know I'm I'm being mentored by so I think that's incredible and I think organizations should definitely listen in tune in and and start their transformation yeah absolutely it, it's if it, if it doesn't you're going to be left behind I mean I can I'll speak freely and transparently you know I've had my I started my company in 94 incorporated in 97 and when by the time we got to 2000 uh, I, I sold it, bought it back. When I got to 2004, I woke up one day and said, OMG, where did all this competition come from? Mm-hmm. I had a client in 99 who was working with the Smithsonian at the time and her side hustle was an accountant. She was a brilliant lady. She was an accountant for Smithsonian, but she was also an accountant on the side. She She did, I think, tax returns or something like that. And she said to me one day during a training session, she said, Fran, um, have you thought about, you know, putting something on the internet? And I was like, the internet? No, I'm not doing that internet. I think that's, that's, that's boring. And nobody's going to do that. Everybody likes everything live and in person. She was an accountant now, completely outside the industry. She was just coming to us for training. She goes, you know, I think you need to look a little closer at that. You know, I'm noticing some things and I'm doing tax returns and I just, I think you need to pay attention to that. And so I went to a conference that year. I think this was in 98. And um, back then we had big conferences for fitness and and wellness. I mean, huge conferences. Like they, you know, I remember going to a conference in San Diego and and literally, if you've ever been to one of those um, uh, 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 convention centers in San Diego, it's huge. I mean, it's like three football fields long and it was just you know, it's like if you ever been to a conference, you know, it's like row after row after row of equipment. And they had like one little half row of digital Internet people offerings, you know, Internet people listen to me, you know, digital offerings, you know, uh, uh, technology, excuse me, technology, uh, innovating offerings. That's like that's not going to last. And I think back then it was personal trainer 
Pro or something like that. And it was a way in which you could manage all your personal training clients. Because back that time, we grew because of personal training. So at one point, I had like 50 trainers. And um, so all we did was personal training. It was like, it was like, so I was like a professional schedule. All I did was schedule people all day long, you know, and I just had paper and post-its and stuff everywhere. And they had this, this, um, you know, the digital scheduler. And I was like, mm, I don't know who's going to use that. And then you could send your client stuff. And I was like, oh no, I'll just do it like I normally do. And, you know, just page them or whatever, you know, I'm t- I'm going way back. So I'm dating myself. I didn't keep up with the innovation. I didn't keep up with the transformation. Yes. The dot-com era came and it bust. But there were a lot of companies that stayed around, AOL. You know, they stayed around and people adopted the internet. And now look at where we are. I mean, Facebook did have a beginning. There was no Facebook in 2007. Mm -hmm. There was no MySpace in 2002. Those all had a beginning. So my point is that you have to be willing to see the transformation. You have to be willing to keep up with it. If you don't, you will be left. That's my lesson. I've learned it. And because of that, I'm always iterating. Absolutely. And and I think that's very powerful and is a great testament to being a visionary and, and what that takes and how to arrive there, right? How to stay ahead of the curve, how to be an industry leader. And that really does speak to your position as an influencer in this industry. So thank you for for sharing all of that. Um, and I actually want to talk a little bit about training techniques and training experiences. And it's been said that the most sought after and effective learning experiences for people who are in a leadership role and what they prefer are instructor-led training and professional coaching. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know how Aerobodies is incorporating these strategies into well-team culture. Mm. Well, great question. You know, we plan to have a advisor component to well-team culture and a, my, a mastermind slash coaching component to it. So yes, there will be a curriculum, digital, on-demand, and then there's, you know, there's a whole library of, of, of videos that you can go through if it's really just about self-care. But then the other piece is really the brilliance is in the masterminding, I think. When you get together with a coach and you hear what other thought leaders and CEOs, you know, big thinkers meet in small rooms. That's where some of the most brilliant ideas come. When you're in another group of peers, it doesn't have to be other CEOs. You can learn something from anybody, even if it's what not to do, right? So, you know, being in those rooms where you're hearing what people are going through and the challenges and how they've iterated and tweaked that. You know, there's a reason why when you think about the eight dimensions of wellness, you think about the physicality, think about, you know, some of the the fitness programs that have come and gone off the, off the uh, main screen, like the biggest loser. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant, you know, program by Mark Burnett. I think Mark Burnett did that. He produced it. Right. But it was brilliant because you show, it showed people's journey mm-hmm. and it was watched by millions of people because people recognize wellness is a journey. It was exciting because you have these really large people trying to really work very hard to lose lots of weight. It's, it's agonizing. I have worked with obese people. I've worked with people with cerebral palsy who have uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, who have some major autoimmune diseases, just challenges in their physicality and having to work through that. And my point is that 
the power is when you get to talk about the challenges in your journey and you have the ahas of what you can do. Cause you know, 90% of his mindset, mm-hmm. 90% that I can Always. get through this. Right. And so as a CEO, as a business owner, as a team lead, as a manager, you know, being able to talk about the challenge and what it takes to get through it and hearing somebody else get through it or having a breakthrough with their, their um, team will give you that much power to keep going. And so that's why we're incorporating the the um, the mastermind component to it and the coaching component. And then the advisor piece is that sometimes you just need to be told that's a dumb idea. <laughs> sometimes you need to be told, OK, get off the get off the uh, uh, the whip um, stage and go do something. Or sometimes it's like, come on. So an advisor does that. An advisor is different than a coach. So that's the the, the, the clarity you need on that. Right. A coach is wants to help you uncover your blind spots, but that advisor is like, okay, <laughs> if you're really trying to grow and you're really trying to get there, that's not the person that should be on that bus. So the advisor kind of advises you towards that. And our goal is to bring all of those pieces into well team culture. So you, again, you get to, again, experience and see and understand what that really looks like and what that takes. And you have all the resources to get you there. Incredible. And, and I think it leads to you know, having that advisor is a little bit more of a strategic level is, is what's coming to the table for me. And I think that's necessary when you are innovating. Absolutely. Strategy is, is everything, right? And having a really good strategist. And sometimes a good strategist is just there to help you unpack or dissect or ask the right questions. And and the cool thing of being, you know, in business for 30 years is I know a lot of people and I got a huge network. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've made a lot of corrections. So I know the best of the best. You know, I know the best on growth. I know the best on finance. I know the best on the legal. I know the best on the, um, the cultural design. I know the best on the spaces. I know some of the best folks in the business. And I will tell you this, folks, when you're trying to grow, when you're trying to lead, when you're trying to manage, it's time staking to make mistakes on resources. So if you can get to the best resource fastest, you're going to get there much quicker. You know, that's why there is a Facebook and no more MySpace, right? So, you know, it's one of those things. You need the resources, you need that investment. And I think that's what we bring to the table in a very unique and, and really interesting way. Absolutely. What else would you say if an organization might not be ready to run to this finish line? What would you say they are going to be sacrificing without stepping up and really taking the initiative to transform with this program? You know, what are some of the things that that organizations are are going to be sacrificing that they won't be realizing they're sacrificing. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> that's real easy. You know, you're going to frustration, frustration on your part as the leader and frustration on the part of your people. I honestly believe most times people don't want to leave companies. You know, they don't want to. It's a lot of hassle to start a new job. You know, it it's is. like starting a new boyfriend. Like who wants to get this off? <laughs> But you're a jerk, so I'm out. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's a hassle. So if you could just figure it out and work with me to figure it out, then I could stay and we could all be happy and I can go on my vacation and keep getting this work done. But you can't seem to do that, Mr. Manager, so I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the big pieces is that 
frustration. I think retention, right? You got to find a way to retain great people. It's horrible. You know, I know a lot of people in a lot of companies and a lot of people are leaving. And, you know, I have a great client with a great company currently. And when she was exiting that company in July of this year, I said to myself, they're going to lose a whole lot of contracts because all their intellectual property of 27 years is walking out the door. Mm. 27 years. She's great talent. Find a way to keep her. They didn't. Uh, So retention. I think uh, the other piece is as a market leader, influencer, competitor, from a growth perspective, in order to grow, you're going to need to be able to move out among um, the, uh, the crowd, right? So you have to really be able to have market differentiation. And after you get to a certain point in terms of growth, people are looking, you know, they're going on uh, Glassdoor, you know, they're going on Google reviews. They want to see what are other people saying about you. They're trying to see, you know, what's on Facebook about you. So you want to be able to be a differentiator. Everybody wants to say, you know, my company is the great, the greatest or the best or whatever. And it's no longer these huge brands. You know, if you're with a small brand and you love it, like I hope you love Aerobodies. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to stay there, right? And you're going to bring your friends. I'm happy to say Aerobodies hires has hired probably 10 friends and family this year. We have because people, our employees love where they work and they're always in river. I mean, I'm trying to hire two more right now friends and family. So that's, a. I mean, I feel like that's a great thing. And it hasn't always been that way. I have been there where people are running for the hills. So I know what the difference is and what it looks like. And let me tell you, I wish Wellington culture was around, you know, 20 years ago, but that's okay. I'm bringing it to bear now. So here it comes. Yes. Better, better now, <laughs> better, better to have it now, <laughs> but uh, to, to have that sense of care from your leader really shows up, I think, in the organization. And, you know, me at at the management level and and, you know, sort of having leadership above and and being a leader myself, it really shows up a lot when it's promoted within the organization and within the business policies and the day-to-day. And it's not just a one-off wellness activity or a a one-off program that we're running once a year or, or once one event. Uh, and I really think that has made a big difference for me personally in my employment journey because because there is there's a huge difference in being in a company that that sees you and values you and cares about your own well-being versus here's the work that needs to be done you do a great job here's your paycheck right there's there's more to me than than just what i type or what how i talk to people and having that recognized is is crucial in in retaining somebody. And that's coming from, you know, from an employee. That's I did not pay her to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, this is off the wall, not, not scripted. Just, you know, this is, this is how I feel. Um, well, you're fantastic. You know, I really, we've had a journey, as you know. <laughs> and, and journey, journey creates growth. That's good. Lear- yep. Learning curves are, are going to happen. And, yep. you know, I think it's, it's how you, grow from 
from the experiences that you have together. It's any relationship has learning curves and employer employees have relationships, managers, leaders, you know, it's, it's all about getting to know that other person. And like you said earlier in the conversation, meeting them where they are. And I think that's really important and, and definitely needs to be prevalent in, in the work world, in the workforce. Oh yeah. I have two quick stories I want to share on that. So first off folks, if you don't know Courtney Thickus, um, you know, check her out on LinkedIn. Don't try to poach her. I know some of you guys are poachers. I'm not into that. So don't come poaching my people. Um, but the thing I really think is really cool about you, Courtney, is that you are a, a very proficient professional, but you also have a life while you're climbing. <laughs> you have a life. She dances all over Philly, y'all. So she's in Philly and she's a professional dancer. So tr- by trade. Right. And so when she first came working with everybody, she came more from the through the contractor side because she brought her skills and talents right on for our digital platform, Blaze. And um, now part of her outlet is to continue to dance. And so she dances and films these little cute vignettes and posts them on her IG. And so as a company, we celebrate that. I think that's great. You know, I'll ask her, hey, have you been out for a walk? Don't I ask you that sometimes? Yes. But I <laughs> and can you tell can tell when I have it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell when she's having a, a moment or she's just kind of like, oh, like cluster crap all over. What I'm like, go for a walk, go dance, go do something and then come back. Whatever. I don't care when you get it done, you'll get it done. But I love that because you're living yourself. You're living your truth. You're being your best self. That's who you are. I can't take that away from you. And I think that's the part, unfortunately, that people companies sometimes try to do, they try to divorce people of who they are. And I saw that when I started Aerobodies, because a lot of our clients were were, um, law firms. So that's the second part of the story. And these law firms, you know, their whole stick is billable hours. So they'd bring us in. Oh, our people are run down. They're stressed out. They're overweight. They're fat. They're obese. They need so they'd cram them into these conference rooms for 35 minutes and 10 seconds for a lunch and learn and a quick powwow, get back to your office, get back to your office, get back to your office. Sometimes they'd sleep in the office trying to finish deals. Um, uh, uh, one girl cried to me one day because she wanted to come to the to the session, but she couldn't come to the session because her boss was working on a big deal and he demanded that she sleep overnight at the firm. And then, you know, and and so she was just, she goes, my work-life balance is horrible. It's horrible, horrible. And then we had one client who's, you know, they, he was a, a partner, sadly, and he had a heart attack heading to Dallas airport. I was like, this is insane. I mean, like, come on. All for the sake of money and billable hours. Like, so enough said, but. Again, if COVID taught us anything, health matters. Mm-hmm. Health matters. And when you start to see or feel or hear that you're losing that vision for your organization, there needs to be somebody in the C-suite. And that's why we're directing this program to the C-suite because the employees already know. But the C-suite is, you know, they get on like some kind of mood trip and they forget what's most important. If you take care of your people, they'll take care of your business. If you don't take care of your people, they won't take care of your business. Enough said. Absolutely. And it it is said that around 60% of people 
report being stressed at their jobs, and that carries over into a poor work-life balance. And we know stress is unavoidable. It happens at work. It happens at home. Kids, pets, whatever, right? But there are ways to effectively manage stress in the workplace so that it doesn't bleed over. So I'd like to know from you some tips, tricks, rabbit out of your hat, (laughs) stress management uh, techniques that fellow business leaders can can work on to proactively reduce workplace-related stress for themselves or or even, you know, for their team. I love this. So that's one of the nuances that, well, team culture will have. It's it's something that we're going to do just for the CEOs themselves. But for myself personally, it is incredibly important to me, you know, to make sure I uh, exercise a couple times a week. That has changed dramatically. When I I built the company on my legs, I like to tell people, I literally built it on my legs. So I did a lot of jumping and skipping and high knees back in the day to build aerobodies. So the days are gone where I do, you know, step classes and high impact classes and, you know, um, pyo classes and, 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 you know, the hardcore, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I've had multiple knee operations and all that kind of thing. So I do things that are more therapeutic now that are still providing exercise. So things that are like bar or Pilates, not a yoga person. Um, uh, but I do love therapeutic flexibility types of things. There's nothing wrong with walking. Long walks are great. You know, I speed it up a bit. So it's not a casual walk. It is a, it's a power walk, but I enjoy that very much. Um, I used to like kickboxing. I don't do kickboxing as much anymore. And I love dance classes. Um, I think you inspire me to continue my dance. But, you know, I don't do a whole lot of Zumba, but I will do like an African dance class every once in a while. I'll do a jazz class. Um, I love hip hop. Not very good on hip hop, I'll be honest with you. People are like, what happened? I thought you could dance. I used to be able to very well, but you know. The 30s come and the 40s come, you don't dance so much anymore. By 50, you're like, oh, I used to be, what happened to the bottom part of my body? I used to be able to move. It doesn't move so well anymore, but that's okay. I still dance. Um, But I do that. And then, you know, I will, there's nothing like a long um, uh, uh, steam room stay on the weekend. So I'll go to my gym later in the evening on a Saturday or a Sunday before it closes and I'll do a steam room or sauna um, and just take the time to really just nurture and take care of myself and do my own, you know, pamper facial and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and then I try to encourage my friends it because I do feel like well-being is about the network. So, you know, I'll invite a friend to go on a walk. I'll invite a friend to go to Pilates class. I'll ask the friend, you know, what are you doing? What could they invite me to? So I think it should be a shared experience. Um And then I think lastly, just clean eating. You know, my eating has really changed a lot over the years. I've had some female issues and organ issues and things like that. And, you know, when you hit your 40s, it does force you to really look at how well have I or have I not taken care of myself? And it's a real wake up call. Uh, So I do my vitamins. I don't go anywhere without my vitamins, not even vacation. Um, I drink my water. Uh, I've found kombucha is my friend. I love kombucha. That's my favorite thing. Love it. And I love bone broth. So that's a whole nother conversation, but bone broth and kombucha, they're part of my regular regimen. So is that too much? Hope that's enough. No, I love that. I love that. And I will definitely hold you to a 
group wellness dance class activity yes. for one of our next uh, get-togethers. I would love that. Love company, it. Company empowerment powwows. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. Maybe our retreat. Maybe we'll have a wellness something or other at our retreat coming up. Absolutely. I would love that. And um, I also love what you said about the the sauna and the steam room. I often meditate when I'm in those situations as well. So it's a good you know, opportunity to sweat everything out and, and clear everything out and also clear the mind, yes. right? While, while yes. the body's clearing. So that's wonderful. Well, as you are an industry influencer yourself, who or what inspires you? I think a couple of different things. My parents always did just because they were both business owners. Uh, it's very hard to run a family-owned business. I saw firsthand. Um, but my mom was a hard-charging business owner and she had to, you know, she really did have to challenge my dad at times. Uh, but he is a great mentor. And I do applaud him and thank him for that. He's no longer with us. He's deceased. But uh, I really do appreciate, you know, looking back now, I realize I learned a lot from my dad because I, I learned how to run a business at five years old, literally. I, he had a, a, a restaurant and I used to have to pay the different vendors that would come in when I was a little kid. So I learned early on and I look back at those times like, oh, you don't know what you're learning until the time has passed. So I, I, I credit my parents first and foremost as my mentors. I've had a lot of women in my life um, that were um, CEOs, uh, leaders. I had a woman um, back in the day, her name was Patricia. She was one of my first clients. And she taught me a lot about just people skills that I will never forget. And, you know, I was young then, you know, I started my company, I was in my 20s, like early 20s. And, um, you know, she, remind me about, you know, following up with people and speaking to people and how you, my customer service skills and just things like that. Because a lot of times, you know, when you're building a, a, a B2C brand, it's all about re uh, referrals. So she'd refer me to people. She was like, look, you better take care of my friend, you know, call them back. You know, did you send him a thank you note? You know, things like that. So, you know, I really thank her for that because there's a lifelong lessons. And then it's interesting now that I think about it, I've had a lot of women in my life that were clients early on that became uh, mentors and friends that really helped me uh, fine tune, I think, just my approach to people, how I talk to people, how I care for people, how I care for my clients, how I care for my employees. And people will say, oh, you're so different. You know, there's something different about you. I, and I definitely, you know, credit that to to um, just, you know, my beliefs and, and, and my faith uh, as being a spiritual person. But I also credit the fact that, you know, they reminded me of things as a young woman. And I was willing to listen because my parents taught me, you know, you listen to your elders, you need to be humble enough to shut up and listen and don't talk back and things like that. And so now, you know, things that come easy to me that are so hard for other people, like they don't listen, they're hard-headed, you know, they got a bad potty mouth and things like that. It's like, well, that's why you're losing the client. You don't know how to talk to people. But it's basic things like that, that I really appreciate when I look back on some of my mentors and now I'm just, I'm an audible fool. I love audible. So I'm always listening to something. I'm sharing books. I send books. I love giving people's books. So I'm not like Oprah in that I keep a volume of books because I guess 
Yeah, like who has space for that? You know, only Oprah has space for that. But I do love to gift books to people and talk to people about books. You and I have even done that, right? Talk about books you've read and what you got out of it, what I got out of it. We have a leadership book club here at the company, which we need a new book. Now I'm just thinking about that. We haven't done a new book for this quarter. But anyway, um, so that's some of the things I do. Amazing. Well, I I love that you're so open and honest with this conversation. And I know our listeners are are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Um, so, so with that, before we close out, you're a woman who's always on the move. Anyone who knows you, <laughs> um, you have a lot of energy and a lot of ideas and a lot of visions. So is there anything uh, that's upcoming that you are excited about that you'd like to share? What don't I have to share? (laughs) See what I mean, folks? See what I mean? (laughs) So, you know, this is going to be dated because this podcast will live on forever. But, um, you know, in 2023, um, there's a couple of events that are going to be posted on our website where I'm speaking. So I do a lot of speaking, as you know, Courtney. Um, So Freedom CEO by the Pinnacle Global Network. I'm going to be speaking there. I'm going to be speaking at two events, um, one in Napa Valley, uh, California, um, on leadership and well-being culture, and another one in, I think it's in Ohio. I think it's in Columbus, Ohio, um, on the same theme. And um, rounding, And then right after that, we're going to be launching Well Team Culture. So it's going to be a busy fall 2023 um, but I think there'll be more to come in 2024, which I'm super excited about as well. I'm just excited to see what's coming next. You know, I'm a, I'm a person that likes change. I'm not afraid of change. I like change. I love learning. I love learning from new people. I love new interactions and new, um, you know, just, just, just new experiences. So I cannot wait to see what comes of this launch and what's next. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Fran, for your time. Listeners, thank you so much. Please don't forget to connect with us. We are active on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. You can watch our video, um, all of the streaming platforms for podcasts, um, and our website, of course, airbodies.com. So thank you so much, Fran. Again, I'm Courtney Fickus, and uh, we are with Airbodies. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.